congregation may be seated. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation is the epistle lesson this morning, Romans chapter 3. And we go all the way back to 1483. It was November 10th. Martin Luther was brought into the world by birth from his mother Margaret and his father Hans. Now, Hans was a miner in um, Eisleben, a little town in Saxony, and he was a hard worker. Um, he believed in hard work. He was um, harsh as a father could be in the uh, 15th century. Um, he expected a lot out of his children. Mortality rates in the 15th century were very, very high. So November 10th, Martin Luther was born. On November 11th, Hans took him to the priest to have him baptized. And he was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit the very next day. You never know. You never know what might happen to a child um, in the 15th century. It was a hard time. Martin Luther grew up. We can even say that the protection of the Lord was around the Luther family. Six months after Luther was born, the family moved to Marbach, which was a town just about 30 miles away from Eisleben. There, Hans had found uh, a better job in the mines there in Marbach, and um, he started, um, he, he really was, was flourishing in this town, Hans was. Um, so much so that, that the townspeople made him one of the counselors of the town. He served this, the town of Marbach. He was blessed so that he could provide his sons, and especially Martin, with an education. Martin was very smart. And so he started taking Latin studies at a very early age, probably about the age of four or five. Usually when most kids would have still been in the home, Martin Luther was sent off to school. And he was very keen on learning. He was a good student. And his father's aspirations for him. Hans, his aspirations for his son Martin was to become a lawyer. He sent him to the best possible schools. Hans' business was flourishing so much so that Hans himself now owned several of the mines. He could afford a good education for Martin, and Martin excelled. But there was always something in Martin's life, Martin Luther, that he just couldn't get past. He viewed God as an almighty and completely righteous judge. And that he had sent, God had sent his son Jesus Christ to come and judge the world. Martin never thought that he could ever, ever approach Jesus Christ or look upon him because he himself, Martin, was too depth in, in depth in his own sin to even approach the throne of God let alone bring himself face-to-face -to, -face to Jesus or even pray to him. So as he was taught by his church, then because you cannot approach Jesus, 
then you have to pray to those who are closest to Jesus. And none are closer than his own mother. So Martin would pray to Mary constantly and to Mary's mother, St. Anne. And tradition has it that one day on his way back to school from, uh, to, to the university where he was getting his law degree, uh, he had just visited home and was heading, heading back uh, to school. And now you need to know that there's a common belief in the 15th century that most people believed that the countryside, when you traveled from one town to another, it was, it was fraught with danger, not just physical danger from, from thieves, but spiritual danger. You see, out on the countryside, that is where the spirits and the demonic would roam around. And so when the storms brew up that day and came in very quickly and it started thundering and lightning, he was sure, Martin Luther was sure, that the demonic was out to get him. As lightning flashed all around him, he threw himself and he fell down into the ground and he made an oath. He said, by St. Anne, today I will become a monk. The clouds dispersed and he heads on home. And he keeps that vow. So that in 1505, Martin Luther checks himself into the monastery. And as he approaches and goes to the monastery, he gives up all worldly possessions. And he's asked a few questions by the prior. The prior says to him, what are you looking for? Martin answers, God's grace and your mercy. Are you married? No. Do you owe anybody any work or money? No. Do you have any secret diseases? No. Then the prior looks Martin in the eye and says, the life that you are about to take up will be a hard life. You will no longer be able to do as you please. Your food will be skimpy. Your clothing will be rough. During the day, you will labor hard and your work will be difficult. And at night, you will spend long hours in prayer. You will have to fight sin. You can never marry. You will be poor and you will be forced to beg. You, Martin Luther, will be lonely. Are you, Martin Luther, ready to accept these hardships? To which Martin Luther responded, yes, with God's help, and insofar as human weakness allows. At that, the choir started chanting, and Martin Luther was a monk. And he stayed there for two years, and once again, he excelled within his studies. Now, his father's aspirations for him was to become a lawyer, and you can, you can imagine that his father was not too well pleased with this decision that Luther had taken. But within two years, Luther becomes then an, a proctor of the monastery. He becomes a, a priest. He celebrates his first mass, which he attends, and he finds out, we find out he jumbles a little bit. Because when he gets to the part about the the words of the consecration, that this is Christ's body and blood, and that this blood is shed for, and he stumbles. 
the forgiveness of sins. You see, Martin Luther had been raised, and even at the monastery, he was taught Occamism, which comes from William Occam, a 14th, 13th and 14th century monk, who wrote the sentences for obedience for the Augustinian order. And the philosophy and theology is very deep. We're not going to get too deep into it. But basically the idea is this. In order for God to pour out His mercy upon you, you have to be right with God. God will not pour out His mercy on sinners. So you have to get rid of your sin. How do you get rid of your sin? By doing righteous things. And when you do righteous things, then you will be able and the condition will have been created for the possibility of God to then pour His grace out upon you. It is by definition a works righteousness. Luther believed it. And he was trying his hardest to work for God's mercy and grace. So when he gets to the words of institution that this is for the forgiveness of sins, how can I as a sinner receive God's grace and mercy when I am by definition a sinner? Do you see the turmoil? It wasn't just Martin's. It wasn't just Martin Luther's. It was the turmoil of every living person uh, during this time. You see, any notion of faith or grace of God by faith alone was absent. Not within the workings of the church, but it still existed. But it only existed in the truth of God's Word. So thanks be to God that Martin Luther was receiving this education because it sent him to the Scriptures. And as he goes to the Scriptures, he reads Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 28, which is our text this morning. That the law, that the law of God in following these sentences of obedience are never going to bring about righteousness. The law is not going to cause in us righteousness. Rather, we are righteous because of the proclamation of God through the acceptance of His Son's blood as the propitiation for our sins. And now the righteousness from God is imparted to us and God says, you are righteous because of my Son, Jesus Christ. This is an epiphany for Martin Luther that he doesn't have to do anything to deserve God's grace and mercy. That, that he doesn't have to be ready. That he as a sinner, this is exactly where God meets him, is as a sinner pours out his grace and mercy on him as a sinner and then causes in him righteousness. This is the foundational truth of the Reformation. And you, nor the world, nor the temptation for a full congregation 
None of that is going to deter us from speaking the truth of God's word and the reformation of grace. By grace, through faith alone. See, what I meant by that last statement is the world wants to, to, to capture the church's imagination. To have it depart from this truth of God's word. And for us to move into anything, everything, apart from faith in Jesus Christ alone. That might include entertaining or self-help sermons. You know, sermons that, that lift you up in your humanity, that, that just show you how to be a, a, a better husband or, or a better wife or, or, a, or a better child. There's nothing better than grace, God's grace, through faith. And world, I'm sorry to tell you this, but we will never depart from the truth of God's Word. We will never stop teaching the truth of the Reformation. Which is this, you are not saved by works of the law. You are saved by God's grace through the faith that He creates in you. And we will never, ever move away from God's sacraments of word and water and word and bread and wine, Holy Communion and the Lord's Supper. Where God showers upon us the, re the truth of this grace. The Reformation, it still goes on. If you and I are reformed today, if you and I are reformed today to believe in Jesus Christ alone and to receive from Him as sinners His mercy and grace, then the Reformation lives on in us. A legacy of faith. Amen. And now may the peace of God, it transcends our ability to even understand May it guard your hearts and your minds, always ever focused on your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.